So, all right, Genesis chapter 50, and I'm going to ask God to bless his word. Lord, I love you, and I thank you so much for the life that you breathe into us, and you literally are shaping and molding us, and you're changing us to, to look like Jesus so that we say the things he would say, do the things that he would do, and, and you call that discipleship. Um, ask for a lot of grace right now, please. For the hearts that are broken, the hearts that are hiding behind walls and all kinds of things that are not healthy. Lord, help them to, to look, look uh, around the corner and to see hope. Thank you that you give us um, a second chance, third chance, fourth chance, a millionth chance. That you're the God of grace. And uh, faith, hope, and love are real. We need to anchor onto those three things. Pray for the folks uh, watching on our app and on Facebook. Speak, Holy Spirit, speak to us all. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, man, I'm excited. Here we go. Genesis 50. Jacob has died. Jacob died. Israel is dead. Joseph fell on his father's face and wept over him and kissed him. Jacob is a corpse. And Joseph falls on his corpse, weeps and kisses him. Joseph gets up, commands his servants, the physicians, to embalm his father. That's a very Egyptian thing to do to a Hebrew, all right? <laughs> Joseph is an authority. And it happens, all right? They embalm his father, so the physicians embalmed Israel. Now, 40 days were required for it, for such is the period required for embalming. And the Egyptians wept for him 70 days, 30 days beyond the process. Okay. Uh, by the way, what an insight into culture in the process of mourning, the loss of a loved one. Uh, we don't handle things this way. You know, someone dies and we immediately take them to a place where you can't see them, right? And you don't spend time with the body at all. Or if you do, it's minimal, right? And then there's a funeral. And now funerals are, are down to, what, 15, 30 minutes now sometimes. And, uh, and closed caskets and all these things. And it's a way in a matter of hours to a few days. And our mourning process as, as Americans has been reduced to just this brief, brief period. And by the way, I understand suffering is a horrible thing, but maybe we miss a little bit about mourning, and especially crying together, crying as a group, grieving as a group. It's really important. So verse four, when the days of mourning for him were past, Joseph spoke to the household of Pharaoh. Do you understand? He's going to the top guy. Do you understand? He goes to the Pharaoh and he says, my father made me swear, saying, behold, I'm about to die. In my grave, which I dug for myself in the land of Canaan, there you shall bury me. Now then, please let me go up and bury my father then I will return. Pharaoh says in response, go up, bury your father, 
as he made you swear. So Joseph went up to bury his father and with him went up all the servants of Pharaoh. Get your mind around that. All the servants of Pharaoh. Do you know what his staff was like? All the servants of Pharaoh, all the elders of his household and all the elders of the land of Egypt. Sonny, can you imagine the group exiting Egypt to go to Canaan? To bury one man. And then all the household of Joseph. And his brothers. And his father's household. They left only their little ones. And their flocks. And their herds in the land of Goshen. Talk about an exodus. (laughs) Of a mass of people. Chariots with teams of horses also went up with him. And the Hebrew text says, and it was a very great company. That's a lot of people, a lot of glory, a lot of splendor, even with chariots traveling from Egypt to Canaan. Does anybody hear an echo in all of this? Can you hear little hints at something here? Wow. Verse 10 when they came to the threshing floor of Atad, which is beyond the Jordan, they mourned there with a very great and sorrowful lamentation. And he observed seven days of mourning for his father. There's already been 70 days of mourning. Now travel, now getting on location, now seven more days. Now, when the inhabitants of the land of the Canaanites saw the mourning at the threshing floor of Atad, they said, this is grievous mourning for the Egyptians. Therefore, it was named Abel Mizraim, which is beyond the Jordan. And so his sons did for him as he commanded them. For his sons carried him to the land of Canaan and buried him in the cave of the field of Machpelah, opposite Manri, which Abraham brought along with the field as a burial site from Ephron the Hittite. And after he had buried his father, Joseph returned to Egypt, he and his brothers and all who had gone up with him to bury his father. I want to pause there at verse 14. Because it's a shift now that Israel is dead. The relationship with Joseph and his brothers suddenly is in jeopardy. And we'll, we'll get to that next Sunday. All right. I want to introduce an idea to you. And, and we want to see, uh, see how the Holy Spirit's going to work. All right. Uh, many, it's going to be a little bit of a group counseling session for a bit here. Okay. Can we, can we do that together and care for each other? Um, Many of us have experienced trauma, okay? Very, very difficult things have happened in our childhood from our earliest memories on to 181920. And it has been, uh, uh, at times for some of us and, and those online, absolutely devastating. In fact, some of us have experienced behaviors so evil that they're considered criminal, even by U.S. law, Okay? really bad. All right. 
Now, uh, when we experience trauma, all right, our brains have to do something with that data, right? Now, God gave us five portals by which we experience life. We can see it, smell it, touch it, hear it, taste it. The five senses. Now, we are believers, and I believe in a sixth sense called the Holy Spirit, all right? But let's just go with the five for a moment, all right? When we experience trauma, bad things happen. They will enter our brains, our souls, our hearts through one or more of those five portals. Make sense? Right? Okay. If, if your parent is saying, I hate you and I wish you were never born, well, it's going in our ears. So there's one. And then you see your father saying it. Right? And then if you get a nice well-placed slap along with it, boy, now we're feeling it. Right? We're seeing it, hearing it, touching it. This one's going deep. And especially when that idea is repeated again and again and again, right? The brain does something with it. Well, it takes it and it stores it in about a dozen filing, dozen filing cabinets in the brain where, where information goes. And those cabinets are stored in places that we're very conscious of. We have a pre-conscious, pre-conscious awareness of, and even an unconscious awareness now, you might say, Chris, you're borderlining, borderlining on crazy. No, let me push you on that little comment you just made to me. <laughs> oh, really? Why do you do such odd, quirky things that you can't explain? Why? Why do you get these odd little weird mood changes? Just because you smelled something or you heard something. Why? You get around a certain person, certain, certain personality type, and you change. You get all bowed up, have to get a little tougher. You know, or you get real wimpy and just like, oh, whatever. Okay, whatever you want. I'm not allowed to have a want. You know, why? Where does that stuff come from? I can tell you exactly where it comes from. It comes from a trauma history and where it sits in your brain. It's where it sits. And your soul and your heart. Okay? There is an unconscious sense of who we are. And that's because some of the trauma sits inside the central brain known as the limbic system. You with me? Are we together? Hold on, hold on. Okay. When that happens, and we get, quote unquote, triggered. Anybody here know what a trigger is? <laughs> Anybody here experienced a trigger? Okay, when we get triggered, that is because all that stuff that's stored in our brains, all of a sudden, a little neuron fires and hits this neuron and pop, pop, pop. And all of a sudden, our brains are lighting up and it's pulling back feelings, ideas that are considered ab-reactive. That's one word, ab-reactive, meaning we're feeling stuff that we felt when we were seven. We're thinking stuff that we thought when we were six. We're feeling it, thinking it, living it out. That is called an abreactive state. Yeah, guess what? When you go, here, okay, let's just let's grab a number here. You're, you're 40, 40 years old, and you've got a trauma history. When you uh, encounter an abuser at, at age 40, Think it's going to hit your heart? Sure. Uh, you encounter an abuser in the location where the abuse took place? It's going to hit your heart. 
Have I set the scene? Are you with me? All right, buckle up. Here it comes. I want you to, disc- I want you to get inside the head of a 17-year-old boy. 17-year-old boy. He's dad's favorite. We all know it. Dad gives him special clothes with lots of colors. Okay? And this kid's a dreamer. He sees things nobody else sees. God talks to him. And then he decides to share those dreams with his brothers. And the brothers can't stand it. Brothers are hot-headed. Real hot-headed. And flat-out mean. And the egos get disturbed enough that they go, I don't know how to fix it. Kill him. Another one says, no, we don't want to go that far. Uh, let's, let's sell him. And this 17-year-old kid loses that really fancy coat he had. That's taken off. Thrown into a pit, humiliated, scared. Maybe he hears the conversation. We don't know about that part. But he ends up being sold by his brothers in the land of Canaan to some human traffickers. And he ends up getting sold and resold and resold, bounced about, multiple sales, prior to even getting to Egypt when he's put on the slave market and that's when some bodyguard dude named Potiphar buys him. Okay. How's that for trauma? A 17-year-old boy left Canaan with tremendous loss, pain, rejection, experiencing hate, abuse, Think about all five portals. You think all five of his somata, his uh, senses were lighting up his somatosensory cortex in his brain? Oh, his brain was lighting it up. Yeah. He hasn't forgotten any of it. And so he goes in a traumatic ride from Canaan to Egypt. And I want you to appreciate God's word. He appeals to Pharaoh, I need to go bury my, I need to go bury my dad. Verses go. And then Pharaoh sends his entire servant team, the elders of Pharaoh and the elders of Egypt. How's that for going to a place of abuse? Leaving as a broken, damaged 17-year-old and coming back with the glory and the muscle and the splendor of Egypt? How's that for a comeback? The comeback kid. Oh my goodness. How's that? That's amazing. What if he, what if he became avoidant? Now I know there's no one in this church that's avoidant. I know that. Nobody online is avoidant. What if he said, you know what? I've, I've, I'm getting a migraine. This time of year in Egypt, the allergies are just terrible. Ah, and the, the smell of the camels. I'm going to stay home. You go and bury Pops. I'm fine. I'll send you some help. Yeah, I just don't feel good. And if he did, we would say, oh, well, he, bless his heart, he was so sick. Yeah. Do you realize that he went back to the place where he was abused? Do you realize that? but not as a 17-year-old broken little boy 
trying to make sense of the confusion of rejection from a family. But he comes back with the glory and the power and the splendor of Egypt. Wow. All right. How do you face your past? How do you face it? Number one, with grace. Let me show you this. We'll get to it next Sunday, but just a hint of it now. Look at 5021. Uh, Jacob dies, Israel's dead. They get back to Egypt. They know they're, they're in the realm where Joseph is the man. And they say to each other, uh-oh, what if, what if he holds a grudge? We're dead. Joseph's got us. He's been nice over the past few years, but now that dad's gone, now that the filter's gone, now that the protective barrier's gone, oh, Joseph is going to make us pay. It's going to be horrible. And Jacob, uh, uh, Joseph weeps. By the, this guy cries a lot, by the way. When you read Genesis, he's, this dude cries. He's a manly man, and he's okay with crying. And he cries again. There's restoration again. In verse 21, he says to his brothers, Therefore, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. So he comforted and spoke kindly to them. You want to know what healing looks like? When you're with an enemy in the enemy location, when you have the ability to speak comforting and kind words. Comforting and kind words is the clearest evidence that you've healed and that you're looking at the grace that God has given you and you're extending that grace even to your enemies. And the person who claims to be a follower of Jesus and does not have that ability has not healed. They've not healed and they're living in their own bitterness or their own rebellion and and blatant sin against Almighty God who commands us to forgive. Your ability to speak comforting words and kind words to your abusers is the clearest indicator that you have forgiven and that Jesus is real inside of you, right? Being kind to your enemy and being comforting to your enemy doesn't prove that they were right. They still were wrong. It should have never happened. It's simply how you respond to them. As I, as I shared with Brian Pope some months ago, you can take the handcuffs off a guilty person. They're still guilty. You're just taking the handcuffs off. Okay? All right. In Revelation 19, there's, if I say come back kid, that sounds irreverent. This is Jesus. All right? He's not the comeback kid. I know that. But talk about a comeback. Huh? Came to Bethlehem, impoverished where the animals eat, and and then escapes a a, a murderous king's decree in a matter of months to a few years to Egypt. Comes back, lives in shame and scandal, goes into obscurity, 
Around age 12, there's a little bumpiness between he and his mom and dad about where he's supposed to be. And why don't you tell mom and dad where you're going and all that. And then in John chapter 1, at around the age of 30, he walks to the Jordan to see John the baptizer. And John says, that's the lamb that takes away the sin of the world. He's impoverished. He's mistreated. The Pharisees are constantly out to get him. All this stuff, you remember And then the unthinkable happens. The most grotesque and tortuous way to treat a human being. He's scourged. He's shamed. He's flogged. All done nude, by the way. He's shredded. From neck to ankle, he's shredded. And he's crucified. And Revelation 19 says this. This is, how, this is how he's coming to the land of his abusers. <laughs> and I saw heaven open and behold a white horse. And he who sat on it is called faithful and true. How's that for two names that describe Jesus? And in righteousness he judges and wages war. His eyes are a flame of fire and on his head are many crowns. And he has a name written on him, I guess it's a tattoo, which no one knows except himself. I want to find out what that is. He is clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. How's that for authority? And the armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, and were following him on white horses. Wow, how's that for a comeback? Going to his abusers, going to the land of his abusers. Yeah, this is real. All right. Joseph went to the very place where he was most rejected, most shamed, most hated. And he did it as someone who is healed and not in the handcuffs of bitterness. You ready? We have prophets here. We have merciful people here. Encouragers, people with discernment. You are the body of Christ. If you're born again, the Holy Spirit's inside of you and you've received a gift for the purpose of building up the saints. Helping us to walk out our faith. How do we pull the Joseph story? 3,000 years ago, more than that, into our world today. So that we have the ability to face our past. Face our past abusers and the very locations in which we've experienced the abuse. And the ability to comfort others. And speak kindly to other people. Even our abusers. You're the body of Christ. How do we do it? What's it take? What's got to click inside our hearts and our heads. So that we become a part of the gracious answer of God. And not the demonic problem. You're the church. What do we do? What do we do? Who said forgive?
Yes. 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 Thank you, Maddie. We forgive. Which doesn't mean calling a wrong right. That does, that's not forgiveness. It's not calling a wrong right. Okay. Keep going. What do we do? Janice? Yes. He forgave us. Um, same thing with Isaac being the sacrifice, and mm-hmm. then mm-hmm. God provides another way out. Um, and then in heaven, you know, who do you guys think those uh, armies of God are going to be riding those white horses? Those are going to be us, mm-hmm. the saints. So I kind of look at it like we're here in boot camp, <laughs> right? Get ready for eternity. Yeah. Because yeah. this is so. Small in comparison right. to eternity, and our souls live forever. So this is; these are lessons of how God wants us to behave mm. towards others. Like Joseph forgave his family, and they wronged him terribly. Yeah. But he still worked through it, and they understood he had the power over mm. them because of what they had done wrong to them. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, um, Janice, scholars have wrestled with um, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, 7. They've really wrestled with it. And they've wondered, you know, is this, is this kind of the, the ethical rules, the new, the new rules that apply to Jesus' followers? Is this like the kingdom of God ethic? Kingdom of God rules now being brought to earth? And a lot of scholars, scholars say yes. So that's true, Janice. Let me read this again. I say to you who hear. Now what he's saying is, if you have the ability to hear spiritually in your heart. I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. Whoever hits you on your cheek, offer him the other also. Whoever takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic from him either. Give to everyone who asks of you. Whoever takes away what is yours, do not demand it back. Treat people the same way you want to treat you want them to treat you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that for you? Even sinners lend to sinners in order to receive back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward, Janice, will be great. Something greater is coming, and you will be sons and daughters of the Most High. (laughs) Buckle up, for he himself is kind to ungrateful and evil people. (laughs) God is good. To ungrateful and evil people. So he says, therefore, be merciful, just as your father is merciful. Well, okay. Someone else. How do we pull it into our world where we're going to live this out? Um, Slow.
Yes. Absolutely normal, yeah. Because by the way, your trauma sits in your brain. You ready for this one? Ouch. It never goes away. We're not going to erase our past. Oh, and it's, and it's almost like an exercise. It's like something you do at the gym. Jenna? You're wise, Jenna, and I, I don't want to get back into the counseling mode, but, but regarding forgiveness, it doesn't mean considering something wrong to be right. It's not that. It's not love. It's not ooey-gooey warm feelings. It's not even proximity. It's not even necessarily being close. Because there are some people who I have forgiven, but I will never be close to. I'll be kind, but I won't be close because they're too dangerous. Right? Amen. Yeah. And so boundaries are important. Absolutely. So this is good. Someone else on why this matters. Stephen, anybody online yet? Um, it seems that one of the most compassionate things you can do is pray for someone. Yeah. And I think yeah. that does two things. It has the potential to do the two things, especially if you're doing it consistently and repetitively. Right. Obviously, you're lifting them before God. And, you know... Different people have different thoughts on that. If you've lifted it to God once, God has it. You don't necessarily need to say it again. Right. But, but um, there's an old saying I think it's attributed to C.S. Lewis: "Prayer doesn't change God; it changes you." Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. if you make a consistent, regular habit of that, then you can speak to this better than I can. You start to maybe rewire some things. Yes. You start to create some some more positive. Networking in your brain. Uh, you nailed it, Ed, exactly. And, yes. and through that regular and consistent prayer and lifting, lifting people up mm-hmm. and understanding how to pray for them. Yeah. And, and starting to, to and maybe also starting to see them with a level of grace where mm. you're understanding how messed up their life is. Mm. Ed, that's so good. That's so wise. Thank you, Ed. Um, by the way, um, there were some, some smart dudes who got together and decided to come up with an, an experiment on how to measure a person's character and their maturity on feeling good about themselves, called self-esteem. Guess what they, they decided to do? They said, this would be the test. If you could do something sacrificial that's a big, big deal, like let's say, let's say you've got $5,000 in your bank. That's what you got, okay? And you're managing your money and da-da-da-da-da. They said... If you take 2,000 of that and you give it away to an undeserving person and tell no one about it, that if you have the ability to do the big thing and keep it quiet, that that is a really powerful marker that you're gaining a good view of yourself. Okay. Ed, brilliant what you just said. Same, barring that same idea. If you really want to have an impact and know some healing, pray for your enemy and don't tell them about it. Because <laughs> the minute you tell your enemy you're praying for him, you blew the whole thing. Don't say a word. Just be nice and pray. 
If you say, hey, I'm going to send you a text. I really think you're a jerk and I hate you. But the Lord has called me to pray for you. And I'm lifting you to the throne, even though, mm-hmm, bye, later. You just blew the whole thing. Just keep it between you and God and pray for that. And now it's going to start changing your heart. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's so good. Thank you. Somebody else? Yes. I'll say something. I don't want to visit her, but... No, you're not. You're family. This is Chris West. Hey, good name, by the way. Great name. The words that that come to mind for me are an intentional awareness. Because I'm hearing the word trigger. And and in our daily lives, we're coming in contact with people. And so many times I lose sight of the person in front of me. I'm just more mission accomplished. Right. Friend or foe, there's triggers happening. Yeah. And, you know, often t- oftentimes we go in, I go in default mode where something in that conversation, even though I've totally lost sight of them, but they still can prick that. And then all of a sudden <laughs> I fall into default, I step in it. Where if I was more intentionally aware of there is a soul in front of me, mm. not just an accomplishment or a task. Right. And, and that's, a, that's a real struggle. Thank you for saying that. Thank you. You mentioned the word default. Big deal. Birth to five sets your default. Birth to five sets your default. And you can have somebody in front of you and uh, a server at the restaurant. I mean, how hard is it to mess up an order? And they mess up the order. Just the tone. Just the tone. And... Pop, you go back to birth of five and something bows up in you. Oh. And then for that moment, all of life, what truly matters, heaven and hell in the balance. Can she get the order right? I don't know. I may die if she doesn't. You're like, what? What? Remember that the whole unconscious thing? Yeah, that's, it's there. The script is there. Yeah. By the way, Chris, uh, bringing some of that junk out of darkness into light and talking about it with the right person, right people, right time, right place can help lower the power of that default. Defaults can always be there, but you can reduce the power of that default by talking with the right people. Somebody else? Yes, Quinn. Yes. Yes. So would that mean that one thing that could be de-traumed to one person is just daily stress to another? Um, Good point. Yes. There are some personalities that are so sensitive uh, that the smallest little infraction and and it's horrific. Uh, An example would be my amazing granddaughter named Phoebe. And Isaiah doesn't... (laughs) doesn't let her have the crayon or something. And for that moment, Phoebe goes into full-on meltdown because she didn't get the blue crayon. So yeah, there are some sensitive souls. Sometimes it's a matter of age-appropriate behavior. A four-year-old, but by the way, it's pretty sad when a 44-year-old acts like a four-year-old, right? Not cool because you didn't get your crayon. Come on. So sometimes it's a maturity issue. All right. Uh, life is stressful, Quinn. And I know you know that because you're, you're, you're a hard-working guy. I know that. Life is stressful. 
By the way, regarding depression and anxiety, I hope you have some. You should. You're alive. There should be something to make you sad. There should be something to make you have to, to worry. We have to have a normal range of function on depression and anxiety. But when they pop up beyond that, and now it's impairing, now we've got a problem. Another set of issues. But let's push this idea. Quinn, one of the markers that regarding counseling, if you're going to look and see if it really is trauma, because not getting the order right at, at Olive Garden isn't trauma. Okay, let's not do that. Okay, come on. First word problems, people. But here's what is trauma. There is an intense threat, real or perceived, that you're going to be physically harmed and even die. It's bad. What's happening is bad to the point of physical harm, even potentially death. That's number one. There's a duration. It's not just two seconds. It's going on and on and on. There's duration. So intensity, risk, and duration. Three, there's no way out. There's no back door. You're cornered. Daddy is on you, and you literally can't get away. You're already in the corner. You can't get away. And that, that is described as helplessness. So when, an, when a child or an adult can't get away, can't make it stop, you've got intensity, you've got duration, you've got the sensation of helplessness. Now we're moving toward something considered as diagnosing or assessing a traumatic event. That does not mean you've got PTSD. That word is thrown around like crazy. Okay? But when you start, those things happen. The key thing is helplessness. I can't stop it. That's a powerful thing. By the way, um, a part of that trauma assessment is that you are watching it be done to another person. Soak that one up. You're watching it be done to another person. So here's little, little, little Chris Perry. He's, five, he's three, two, three, four years of age. Watching a bodybuilder beat the living tar out of a little five-foot woman known as Mommy. Can I stop it? No. No. Is that secondary trauma? I fit the bill to the T. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Stephen? Uh, Melissa makes a comment. I'm assuming kind of in regard to grace uh, on earth. But she says, here's a starting reality I just thought of yesterday. I may very well be spending eternity with the person who <laughs> Wow. The prophet has spoken. Thank you, Melissa. Thank you. Yeah. So if heaven... Thank you. Is a culture of mercy. If heaven is a culture of worship, if it's a culture of love, if there's a tree with leaves that grow every month for the healing of the nations, it's a healing culture. It's an amazing place. And Jesus taught us himself, taught us to pray in Matthew 6, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it's done in heaven. So, Melissa, yes, the culture of heaven, the merciful, loving culture of heaven should be brought to earth. And yes, 
we may be sitting next to somebody at the marriage supper of the Lamb, and we're going to raise our wine glass together and break bread together. And that's the person that abused my mom or my dad or whatever, me, you. And, we're, and they're left and right of me at the dinner table. Yeah, it doesn't have to be an awkward conversation, does it? <laughs> hey, what are you doing here? <laughs> Ain't you supposed to be... <clears throat> are we allowed to say that up here? Well, I didn't think you were supposed to be here. Shut up! Can you imagine? Can you imagine? <laughs> All right, you ready? Let's tie this off. If you're Joseph, who do you need to forgive? If you're Joseph, who do you need to forgive? All of them. them. Yes, Maddie, yes. All right. However, there's more. If you're Joseph, can you go to the very place where you were abused? Can you handle your abusers in that point? And do you have what it takes? Because Jesus is in you to be comforting and kind and wise in the land of your abuse. Yeah. And hang on, because you're going to be the comeback kid, okay? You're going to come back in glory. You will be. You will be. Because of Jesus. So, All right, I'm going to pray. Abba, Father, I love you and I thank you. And ask in the name of your Son for the release of bitterness for the release of this addictive need for control, for release of hate and anger, and for the the ability to so receive your love and your mercy, and then that thing becomes so real inside of us that we can extend it to others. Thank you for these stories in Genesis, raw, broken, messed up people just like me, just like all of us. Give us the heart of Joseph to not be avoidant and not refuse to go back to the land of our abusers, but to face them with the dignity and the glory and the splendor of heaven. And I'm asking this in Jesus' name. Amen.